nerve wracking uh, doesn't begin to cover it. Step into the room with Steve Jobs. Yeah, yeah, the, the adrenaline starts flowing and you're nervous and you know, I know, because I'd had the experience before of how intimidating Steve could be when I showed him something and he didn't like it. I'm Scott McGrew, a technology reporter for NBC stationed right smack in the middle of the future, Silicon Valley. Come with me to the source of all the money funding that future, the special place everyone in Silicon Valley knows simply as Sand Hill Road. I got a text message the other day on my iPhone from my significant other who was quite sure she had felt an earthquake. Now we have a seismograph at the office, so she texted me. Earthquake? House seemed to shake a bit. And I texted back, no, but there is a poet outrage in the area. And then there was this strange pause. And she texted back, A poet outrage? You mean bands of men roaming the streets, shaking their fists and chanting in rhyming couplets? Now, what I meant to say, of course, was power outage. But iPhone decided what I was trying to type was poet outrage, which is weird. Ken Koshenda invented the iPhone spell check. Actually, he invented a lot more than that. He was one of just eight people on the original Apple team. Uh, well, let, let me just say that um, the, uh, the keyboard didn't exactly get it perfectly right. Yeah. So the, the software intervened. <laughs> Poet outrage. Poet outrage. I assume when people discover that you invented the iPhone spell check, they have a thing or two to say. Yes. Well, autocorrection was, on the good side, a really important technology for that original iPhone, right? Because it, it made it possible to, to implement a software keyboard. So the keyboard could get out of the way when you weren't using it and, and more room on the screen for apps. But then, yes, you get autocorrection. And so mostly what I'm accused of is getting in the way of people's swearing. Like ducking. Yes. Did you choose ducking as the answer to the real world the world that we were trying to say? Well, okay, so here's how that works. Apple always tries to put itself in the, the mind of a customer. Right? Give, give customer, give people out in the world, not even customers, people, give people good experiences. So now let's look at the flip side of this ducking. Let's say you got on vacation, you rent a beautiful house by the lake. Right. And uh, you want to text grandma. <laughs> and so you say, grandma, they're over here. There's some beautiful ducks on the pond. You don't want that autocorrection to go the other way. Right. You want to make sure that you're talking about waterfowl and not foul language. Right. So, you know, so the intervention of the software, yeah, sometimes does get in the way, but then other times it's, it has your back. There is that amazing feeling that you are just, you know, your thumbs are flying across that keyboard. And in your head, you think to yourself, I am spitting out nonsense here. There's no way I'm hitting the keys where I meant to hit them. And yet it generally on the screen, oh my God, it actually understood what I was trying to type. Right. So the, the key finding that 
that I made when developing this uh, software for the first time was that, well, since you take away the plastic keys, you can't feel where you're typing. So yeah, you are gonna be make these, making these little errors this way or that. But the finding was that it doesn't matter because here's the way to picture it. The way the software works is like this. When you type a word, you're creating a pattern. It's like the stars in a constellation, right? So you get these dots, but the dots come together to make a picture. And the picture that you type winds up looking like the pictures that the words in the dictionary would make if, say, Superman were typing, right? Superman would always hit the keys exactly in the center, right? And so we've got those patterns, and then your patterns, your constellation, well... They, they wind up matching the word that you wanted to type can be found with software. And so this was the breakthrough. This, this, was, this was the moment that we realized we can make a software keyboard. That is miraculous when you think about it, and it's a credit to you, that what I actually type and the message that goes onto the screen, which is what I intended, are not the same thing, and your software figured out what I really meant. Right. So the, this notion of having the software give you what you meant rather than what you did is, is part of what makes Apple products so pleasant and intuitive to use, right? We, we, think of, we, we were always thinking of things from the perspective of the customer and, and taking your sloppy input and trying to figure out ways to clean it up. Yeah, and, and, and this is you know, the, real, the, uh, the real necessary part of having a touchscreen where you ha don't have that tactile feedback. So what the software does is it looks at, it has a different view of the keyboard. Okay, and so from your standpoint, you see a bunch of individual keys, and, and each key has a, has a letter on it. But from the software standpoint, those edges on the keys, they go away. It doesn't see those really at all. Instead, when you want to type a letter, let's say you know, uh, the letter C, what it sees, uh, what, the, what the keyboard uh, looks at is, is that letter being a bullseye. At, at, the, at the center of a target, right? And those other letters are kind of the other colors around that bullseye. And so it's like, well, when, when the tap comes down, well, you, you might've missed the center. And so the software takes that into account, tries to accommodate you, tries to give you what you meant rather than what you did. It is cool when we talk about just the design of everyday things, including the iPhone, that how much thought was put behind something that I think nothing of. That, that there are engineers and designers behind things that make things easier, and I have no idea what's actually happening underneath the, under the water like a duck. Right. See, uh, that's the job of a designer, right? It's, it's, uh, we, we took that responsibility on us very seriously. And the way that we approached this is we tried to use the products as soon as we could. So even though yeah, back in the early days of iPhone development, I mean, we, we think about this small, compact, pocketable device, 
But the first time that I started making prototype for the touchscreen uh, software, the first software prototypes I made were with a, a much bigger uh, touchscreen device, which had a, a, a tether, a quarter inch around, you know, a, a dia diameter tether going out, uh, out of it. And it that hooked up to a, a bare computer board that I had on my desk. There was no case around it. I, it was just a, a, a piece of, uh, of, of raw technology on my desk for a year and a half. And we needed wires going everywhere to try to get this software to work as, 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 as well as it did. And yet, even from those early days, we tried to imagine what the final product experience would be like for people. And we used the software every day. We called it living on. Now, sometimes there's a bit of jargon, you, you know, you made here in, in, in Silicon Valley, dog fooding mm -hmm. is what people say. Oh, well, we got to dog food that product to make sure that it, well, it turns out right. And, uh, you know, that, that phrase never worked for me. And it never worked for my colleagues at Apple because, you know, after all, you know, dog food isn't generally considered to be the pinnacle of, of, of product development, right? And, and so we, we, we used this other term of living on. We wanted to live on the software and the hardware and the experiences as, as, as people would eventually once, they, once we were done with the product and it shipped out into the world and people bought it in the store. And this was the basis. This was the foundation uh, that we, we, we built all of these user experiences on. Some of the people in their 20s would not really remember a world that didn't have an iPhone. And when you say living on, uh, they really do live on the phones. I think we all do. Could you have anticipated, did you anticipate at the time, you knew it was going to be big. You knew it was revolutionary because you had seen it before we had. Did you have any idea? No. Really. Really, honestly, no. What we had were hopes. And we had nerves because we had this responsibility to deliver on this product and to make it seem revolutionary when it was done. Uh, honestly, a lot of times uh, in these, these early days, it was clunky. Right? The first ideas don't work, but we had this process of refining the work, work round after round after round of iteration and refinement so that, yeah, when it came out, it would be revolutionary. And then the product got into people's hands and they loved it. And as years went by, then when apps became available and people could play games on their phones and, and watch video on the move, yeah, it just then, yeah, it, it, it went into orbit, right? Uh, we, we, we achieved escape velocity. But we, we couldn't really foresee that uh, when we were working on the product. Uh, you know, again, it was, it was a matter of we, were, we had an expectation that people would like the work that we were doing, but not to the extent that, that they did. Tell me what it's like to walk into the conference room where Steve Jobs is sitting at the end of the table, and you're going to show him your idea that you're in love with. And I mean, he's a tough guy. He was a tough guy. Uh, that must be nerve wracking. Nerve wracking uh, doesn't begin to cover it because 
for me, as a, as a product developer, as a designer, uh, as, as, as a software engineer, somebody, somebody trying to reach this Apple standard for work, when you, you take that step into the room with Steve Jobs, yeah, yeah, the, the adrenaline starts flowing and you're nervous. And you know, I know, because I'd had the experience before of how intimidating Steve could be when I showed him something and he didn't like it. He could tell you very clearly what he was thinking. And uh, sometimes, yeah, yeah the, the language could be strong and, 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 and straightforward. Uh, but, you know, in a way, it, it was just part of, of the Apple culture, the Apple way of doing business, and part of accepting that Steve was just oh so focused on making the products great. And so he cared less about your personal feelings. I mean, that was really the call. You had to accept that. When you were going into the, the, the demo room with him, it was kind of like you know going into the, the Coliseum. Uh, and, and, and yet, at the same time, you know, you, you were facing the lions maybe sometimes, but then, you know, sometimes, you know, Steve really was, was in the role of the emperor. His thumbs up meant that my work would go out into the hands of millions of people, tens of hundreds of millions of people in an Apple product. And so for me in my career, the trade-off was worth it. Do the effort, do the work, show Steve, get his approval eventually, yeah, and then you, my work would go out and make a difference. What in the world do you see that is Apple-y, that, that says to you, they really thought that through? As a designer, are there things you admire that you think, if Apple made that product, I mean, if, we, if Apple were into that category, we would have made that? Well, I, I for years now, uh, I have been making uh, espresso and cappuccino uh, for my wife in the morning. And, and my espresso machine is this gorgeous product, the shiny, you know, the metal. And, and, you know, I, I pol every week, you know, I polish it and clean it off. And, and I love it. I love the product. And not only that, not only as, as, as an object, but then it helps my wife and I wake up in the morning. We have our you know delicious cup of coffee. You know, so there are these there are these products that that yeah they they do uh, have the, a little bit of that that you know that Apple magic. Uh, you know, I I actually have a a, a, a cheap pair of uh, of, of eyeglasses uh, here on the table in front of me because I actually lost my good ones recently. And when I was choosing those out, it was like, yeah, the, the, the people who were, who were, who were making the, the, those uh, eyeglasses, they were beautiful. They were streamlined. They, they, they had a, 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 an essential it about them. So yeah, my eyeglasses, my espresso machine, there are these products out there that when I see them and experience them, it's like, yeah, my Apple sensibilities, I, I just latch right onto them. There's a story you tell in the book about uh, when the airplane comes to a halt and you they open the door uh, in the airplane after a long flight. If you could kind of tell me that that personal satisfaction that you feel. Right. The the so when we develop software, right, we put it out into the world as we've been talking about, and then how do people react? How do people use it? And it's this scenario that, to me, as the inventor of 
autocorrect and ducking and right the sometimes the frustration well there there is this flip side and so when you land people uh, uh the, the airplane lands and it's taxiing back to the gate and the flight attendant comes on and says okay everybody you can turn on your electronic devices well what do people do they take their iphones hopefully their iphones out of their pocket and they type a text message that's like the first thing they do is they get through to the software that, that I had a hand in, in, in making. And, and they type a, a, a message out to their loved one, just landed, see you soon, love you, whatever. And, and I just feel like I helped make that little touching human moment happen. Uh, I, I was... Uh, uh, part of, of what made that, that new technology possible. Now people can get in touch with their friends and their families just that couple of minutes sooner, and people like it. They like having that opportunity, so they do it. Ken Kachinda is the author of Creative Selection Inside Apple's Design Process. During the golden age of Steve Jobs, thanks for being with us and answering all of our ducking questions. Thank you. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. If you're in the San Francisco area, that's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com. <laughs>